that I think is very important um, for all of us to, to think about. And I said, in a matter of words, you know, a funeral service is in many ways is similar to other services that Christians hold, whether it be perhaps the opposite of a funeral, you could say a wedding or a regular Sunday service. There's something at the heart of why we are gathered here today that cannot be lost. While we are embracing the family and friends in love, while we are praying and working and hoping to encourage and to comfort you. Through that, what we are doing as well, ultimately, is taking part in a worship service. There's probably no greater suffering that I can think of, second to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that any other human being faced than Job. And for those of us who have read Job, when you see that moment where his family has died, he's lost everything. And he's faced with the intense pressure and affliction in a, in a way that probably none of us will ever feel. He said these words which we sing. Maybe sometimes a little bit too flippantly or too fast to think about. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Those are words of worship that express a heart that understands that God is good all the time. And all the time God is good, but also that God is in control. And that even when we can't see why He's doing what He's doing, we can trust in His goodness. It's very hard to do that at times like this. And so we want to give thanks to God today for the life of Miss Carolyn, for what she meant to the family and, and friends that are gathered here today and those who couldn't make it, maybe, maybe you're tuning in. Again, my condolences to you. And we, we are here to give thanks to God because the Lord gives. And at His appointed time, He takes away. And that is the hard part for those of us who are left behind. And grieving will take time Healing will take time and there will take on many different forms. But I want us to think about I want us to think about this question. How will we deal with suffering? How will we deal with the afflictions of this life? And the passage that was chosen for the scripture reading in God's providence, I, I didn't know it at the time. But the passage that Miss Maxine told me um, was going to be read, which I read earlier, was the same passage that I was planning to preach from. And so, without belaboring that, 
I just want to read the same passage again from a slightly different translation, but if you, if you have your, your Bibles in front of you, you're welcome to read or, or tap along in your phones or devices. Again, the, the passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through chapter 5, verse 5. The Apostle Paul, who writes these words, by the way, in the midst of a time when false apostles, false self-appointed teachers are trying to discredit his ministry. And he's being persecuted by the Jews and the Romans and just about everyone he faces when he teaches them the gospel. He's been struck down, stoned, flogged, left apparently for dead in the street one of those times, shipwrecked. So he's facing terrible opposition for the faith. But in the words of this text, the Apostle Paul is speaking about what it's like to live in a broken world with broken bodies. And he's recognizing the hardship of that. He's not acting triumphalistic. Listen carefully to the the words that he uses here. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, But the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, since in fact after putting it on, We will not be found naked. For indeed we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. I want you to hear these words and to think about that old hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And I want us to think about how many times we've sung hymns like that. I'm asking it as a prayer to God that He would help us today and through this season and the different times and ways that you'll continue mourning that He will help you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. That now God will help all of us to turn our eyes upon Jesus in faith. But to think about this 
When these old hymns which express biblical truth were written, they were not written out of ease and comfort. And the real test of our faith is not when things are easy, but when our faith itself, along with the struggles of having a fallen body in a fallen world, when that is challenged. And I think this this text shows us three important things when it comes to dealing with the afflictions of life. A number of things, but at least three important realities. I think when we read a passage like this, it makes us think about afflictions. The origin of afflictions and the reality of afflictions. Everyone knows that we have afflictions in this life. But how do we really assess them? And so that's the first thing I want us to think about. The origin and the reality. Secondly, the way God actually redeems afflictions. And then lastly, the God who understands our afflictions perfectly. And I think we find hope and comfort and strength in each of these truths. So consider with me first the origin and reality of our afflictions. I might not know everyone in the room today or everyone who's listening, but when we face afflictions in this life, like everything else, we're left with the task of interpreting those afflictions. And the way that we interpret our afflictions is directly linked to what we think about God. Some people try to deal with affliction by learning how to suck it up and move forwards or sweeping things under the rug. But we know that that's not even a bandage on afflictions. So I want us to look at the the words of the Apostle Paul again. He says in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. You see, Paul is not just a man living from meal to meal, paycheck to paycheck, He's, he's bringing out this, this reality that it's not just Paul who's alive, but because of his faith, he is now united to someone greater than himself. Which is why he says in verse 5 of chapter 5, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a guarantee or as a pledge. And so Paul is really in this entire text, showing us that the only way to properly deal with affliction is with God. He speaks about the fact that there's an outer person on each of us that is decaying. But his inner person, because he's trusting in the person of God, the the person of the Father and the Son and this indwelling Spirit, who's in everyone who is trusting in Jesus, the third person of the Trinity. 
because of that, this is how he assesses the afflictions of things like sickness and suffering and death. Here it is in verse 17. For our momentary light affliction. It's an interesting combination of words, isn't it? Momentary and light. The root of those words actually can be translated seemingly inconsequential and weightless. But then he, he couples them with this word affliction or afflictions, which really means intense pressure. And you, you, really, you read words like this or passages like this and you think, how does this fit together? Because on the one hand, it would seem as if Paul is just being dismissive. He's suffering, he's going through pain, but he's, he's pretending, he's putting on a good face and saying, it's not a big deal, everyone suffers. But then he uses this phrase, afflictions, referring to intense pressures. How is Paul not being overcome in the midst of all these things? Let's read the rest of verse 17. The momentary light affliction is producing, or some translations say achieving for us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And there Paul is just piling word upon word talking about the the glories of eternity but our afflictions by themselves are not beings they're in the hands of God when he says that the, the affliction of life is producing an eternal weight of glory he's referring to the fact that God is at work right in the midst of our afflictions. And again, this is the question. How do we respond to the afflictions of life? On the one hand, Paul is not saying, que sera, sera. What will be, will be. We don't want to get our theology from all the music that we hear on the radio. (laughs) Just a little piece of advice. That's not Christian. That's not godly. Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying these things hurt. We don't want to rush beyond the pain of losing a loved one and say, okay, but. We don't want to rush beyond the the, the pain of suffering that we're going through by comparing it to others. What hurts, hurts. And sometimes it is an intense pressure. But if you are looking to Jesus Christ in faith, then you can understand how to, in a godly way, compare the sufferings you're going through to eternity. It would be as if, if we made this comparison, it would be like taking a sand grain and somehow taking all the sufferings of all the people in this room and all our extended families and all who are listening to this message and watching this service or hearing this service, if you could somehow combine all of that into one sand grain and then place that onto the seven-mile beach, 
That's sort of a comparison, but it, that's not good enough. You'd have to place it on the Seven Mile Beach and then place that sand grain in the context of the whole globe with all the sand. But even that is not enough. You would have to extend that to the entire universe and even that is not enough. When Paul uses this language here, the weight of eternal glory, he has been gripped by another world. You remember who he was, right? Saul of Tarsus, persecutor and executioner of those who declare the name of Jesus Christ. How do you go from being that to speaking like this and suffering so much on his behalf? And even when it's not on his behalf, being willing to see the afflictions of maybe just getting old or getting sick in light of eternity. I suggest to you because Paul not only faced the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, but, but something had to happen internally. And so I was thinking about the origin of afflictions. And friends, every time we think about the origin of anything bad in this world, suffering, sin, and death, there's only one place we can go to understand it. There's only one God, and He has only spoken through His Word. The B-I-B-L-E, as that old child's hymn says, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you see where afflictions come from. We are all faced with the same reality although we now stand as sinners before God. And here's what takes place in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have the, the choice to listen to the word of a deceiver who's telling them that God didn't make them like Him, although they were made like Him in His likeness and image. But He says, no, if you eat from this tree, you can become like God. And they wanted to become more like God than we were made to be. And in that, something called the fall took place. The nature of men and women, of the whole human race, since we're all born from Adam and Eve, is now fallen. This is the origin of afflictions. And so even when we don't do things personally that are evil or, or wrong necessarily, that would lead to certain afflictions, we just have to face afflictions. And the root origin of them is sin. And we cannot clean ourselves up from this sin. We have no remedy or religion or technique or any great work that could deal with this problem. And if you're going to, to walk with wisdom, you need to do something that we teach children. You know when children are learning how to walk in public? What do you say to them when they're crossing the road? I guess I, I, that's kind of a broad question. You tell them, look both ways. Right? 
pretty sure I heard about three good things. We tell them a lot of things, but you tell them to look both ways. If you want to have a balanced view of the world we live in and of the person in the mirror that you're looking at when you wake up in the morning and something that you can hold on to until you take your last breath, you have to do something. You have to look both ways. You have to look back to the origin of our creation. But then you have to understand that the same God who's told us how He created all things has also sent His one and only Son. So that in Him, we look forwards to a new creation. This is what Paul is speaking about in the context of the few chapters. If you go home, and I encourage you to do this, go home and read chapter 3 and 4 and 5 of 2 Corinthians. And Paul is speaking in the context of trying to explain what it's like to be part of a new creation. This is how we as Christians and as local churches in the year 2023 in these islands and around the world are going to remain faithful by looking both ways. And I know from the few conversations that I had with Ms. Carolyn that she was doing that. In fact, the only other person who I've been that close to in her last hours of life would have been my father. I haven't been next to someone like that before. The evening before she passed, I went to visit her in the hospital and she was not in a state to, to speak. She couldn't respond. But her dear daughter, Miss Robin, said, they say that the last thing to go is the hearing. And so, had a couple of reactions, but one of them was, wow, this is serious. You just, you know, you find yourself in situations where you just wish you could reach down and change things. There is one who can do that. And so, since I'm not in his head, I held Miss Carolyn's hand and I got close to her ear. And before I prayed and asked for a miracle, which can happen, I asked Miss Carolyn if she remembers the conversations that we had. And obviously, she, she had been a Christian based on this testimony of her life from before I was born. But there's something important that I knew and that we all need to know. Truth is timeless. It's not based on your life experience. It is external to us. But when the truth of God, when the person who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. When you believe in those kinds of truths, they change the way you live. And guess what? They change the way you die. All I, all I could say at that point was what I would encourage, not because I have years of experience, but again, I don't need them. I would encourage any one of you who believes the gospel 
to not hesitate at a moment like that, to just walk through the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, how he lived for us, how he achieved a, a, a righteousness in his own living that we can't achieve. Not because he needed to, but because he chose to in love. Remember, Miss Carolyn, remember Jesus Christ who hung upon Calvary's cross for your sin. Who bore the wrath of God on your behalf. And my friends, I'm not going to assume that even all of us in here who claim to be Christians are if we are to learn from the Bible, we should think carefully and examine ourselves carefully about what we believe. The wrath of God is what we should be under. Because of our nature, because of the origin of affliction, and because we are children of Adam and Eve, that is what we should all be under now. But I said to Miss Carolyn, Remember Jesus Christ, who bore the penalty of your sin. The night before he was crucified, he said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That cup was spoken of in the prophet Isaiah, the cup of God's justice and wrath. said, Miss Carolyn, remember that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. Miss Carolyn, remember that he rose again on the third day. Miss Carolyn, remember that he ascended in bodily form after he rose from the grave. And remember that if we trust in these things, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we will be caught up with him in the same way. And Miss Carolyn, if you close your eyes in faith now, you will open them in glory. These are the kinds of things that we want to remind people of when the time has come. But we have to ask ourselves today, do I believe this gospel? The reality of afflictions can only be properly dealt with when we see light, life in light of eternity. But we see in these words from Paul that, secondly, God redeems our afflictions. They're not meaningless. Not only is God present and at work, but I want you to see how he's at work. Look again at, at verse 17 of chapter 4. God through these afflictions, He is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look. The beginning of verse 18 says, while we look, not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. Paul goes on in chapter 5 to talk about his earthly tent being broken down, being torn down, He's using these languages, this language of the body groaning and, and longing to be further clothed. And Paul knows 
Paul knows that he will be further clothed one day in glory. You see, God produces greater endurance in the faith through our afflictions, believe it or not. This is the promise from Jesus Christ. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And so, by faith in Him, whether it's being persecuted, ostracized, for our faith, or just suffering in general, we too overcome the world. And this pledge, this pledge that Paul talks about at the end of of the verse 5 in chapter 5, he says, the reason that I'm confident in these things is because God has given us, and not just Him, but every believer, this down payment, this inheritance. And most of us have had to think about things like an inheritance, but how do you receive an inheritance? You receive an inheritance after the death of a person who's made a will to give to those some sort of inheritance. And so I think that this down payment language is pointing us back again to the fact that we can only have hope to have this kind of perspective of life. We can only have hope that goes beyond the grave to be grown with this inner man being renewed. We can only have hope to to receive a new resurrection body in glory rather than in judgment if we are putting our faith in the one who died and rose again. See, the, the Spirit is a guarantee. He's not an object. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. And He's working in His children, those who are trusting in Christ. But the basis of this guarantee, the basis of this hope, is actually the death of Jesus Christ. And so I want to end by saying this. Our God understands our afflictions. Not only are they not meaningless, not only is He with us in them, but God understands what it's like to be afflicted. That might sound kind of weird because we we tend to think of God as far above and beyond us. The God who said, let there be light. Let us make man in our likeness and in our image. How does He understand our afflictions? Well, simply put, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the giving of His Son was not just speaking about His death on the cross but a life of being despised and rejected. In chapter 53 of Isaiah we We read these words from verses 4 and 5. Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him, 
and afflicted. And he was. He was being punished by God. But why would God punish someone who is innocent? Answer. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brings us peace, that brought us peace, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Not just at this time of year, friends, but all the time. This is the only hope we have in life and in death. See, as I spoke to Miss Carolyn, she couldn't, she couldn't respond. But I did feel her hand start to squeeze mine as I was saying, remember Jesus Christ, remember this, remember what he did. She started to squeeze my hand. And I thought... You know what? In some ways, that's even more powerful than the thief on the cross. The question is not, how are we living now? That's an important question. But the question is, how will we die? How will we meet this moment at the end of this life? Because Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, because Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. Because the innocent was willing to be punished for the guilty. Today, we can have hope not only that one day Miss Carolyn's body will be reunited with her soul in eternal glory. But we can have hope that even now, last week on Wednesday morning, as verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Your bodies need sleep. Your souls don't. We use terms like rest and peace. And the truth is, the type of rest that we enter when we die in faith is rest indeed, but it is glorious. There is no napping. There's only clapping. And that's based on the authority of Scripture. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As we close our eyes, if we close our eyes in faith, we open them in glory. And so I close with these words from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. I encourage you and everyone here today to do that. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus at this time and approach His throne of grace. Father, we once again come before You in the name